This is Sarah from the left. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. And today I'm here with Jason Silverstein, a lecturer at Harvard Medical School and a writer for Vice's health channel, Tonic. I recently read two of Jason's pieces on the war on maternity care and the repercussions for some sections of the new Republican health care bill for children with fatal illnesses, and then found out that Jason's working on a book on empathy and he has some really great nuanced takes on not only Obamacare but the Republican version and as we are facing the Senate there's reporting now that the McConnell wants to get um the Senate version voted on by the July 4th recess we thought this was a great time to talk about all these issues so Jason welcome to Pantsy Politics Hey thank you so much for having me I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So, Jason, tell us what you do um, at Harvard. Oh, well, uh, I teach at Harvard Medical School in the Department of Global Health and Social Medicine, and especially in a program that we do here on global health delivery. So uh, I'm really lucky to get a chance to teach the next generation of uh, global health heroes 
And we not only teach them about, you know, how to deliver health care to the poor and in places where there isn't a whole lot, uh, the sorts of things that, you know, I take for granted as I sit here talking to you from from Harvard Medical School around some of the best hospitals in the world. Uh, but we actually send our students out and we make them go do this. So we, we make them go implement it and come back and report back to us. So very, very lucky to have a chance to, to work with uh, many inspiring uh, young people. And certainly right now, uh, working with inspiring young people and, and activist-minded young people is, I, I think, uh, keeping my spirits afloat. And I don't think I'm alone with that. Yeah, I don't think you are, too. I've heard a lot of people say that. So tell us about um, your experience. I'm interested as the Obamacare healthcare debate seems to be moving on the left towards single payer systems. What's your perspective on sort of how America stacks up global health wise um, as compared to countries with single payer systems? Well, it's a great question. You know, I, I, for all of the things that Obamacare does really well and potentially could do better, right, in terms of trying to expand coverage uh, to people who need it the most and do so in an affordable way, um, which let's keep in mind, it's never really been allowed to completely work. So some of the things that we might improve with it before even getting to single payer would just be to allow Obamacare to finally work, mm-hmm. even though it's, you know, in, 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 in its way that it's been hampered, whether it's been uh, through trying to, you know, not allow people to get information out there uh, with the healthcare navigators early on, or whether it's trying to keep Medicaid from expanding, we still got to the lowest level of uh, uninsured that's on record. But the single payer argument's pretty compelling because one of the questions we should ask ourselves is, you know, do we think that health care uh, is a right or is it a mandate? Um, and under Obamacare, it's a mandate. And I think it's an important philosophical question that we don't really get a chance to debate because right now we're in a position where, you know, this time last year, I don't think anyone predicted we would be in. Yeah. Uh, now we're having to have some serious uh, concerns that, you know, over the next 10 years, you know, 23 million people uh, are going to lose their health coverage, including 14 million uh, in the very first year after this. So this is going to be, be a big hit. Um, so, it would be nice if we could have a a more philosophical debate about healthcare as a human right, um, that everyone should have a right to it, and to close those gaps that Obamacare uh, still would leave open. Um, but unfortunately, I, I think we're, we're having to uh, have a, we're in a much facing a much bigger crisis now, especially as it pertains to the poor, the older, uh, and the sick here in this country. Well, what are you? What is the global perspective? Do you feel like among industrial nations on whether healthcare is a right or a mandate? Like, sort of the where do the majority of countries fall? That's um, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know if I have a super um, short answer on that. Um, that's a good question. It seems like the, the global conversation right generally yeah. is shifting, not just in our country, but everywhere. I know I, Beth and I were just talking about Beth is in London, um, or I think she's in Scotland right now. And she was saying, and I was telling her how I've been sort of watching the British election. And so much of the conversation is revolving around their healthcare system and how it's not properly funded and people are waiting too long. 
And it seems like they're sort of struggling with, you know, we have universal health care, but people aren't even happy with how it run. And it seems to be coming from a perspective that it is a human right. Sure. You know, uh, I guess I, I tend to I tend to spend a lot of time thinking about places where uh, they don't have uh, a lot of uh stuff. They don't have a lot of spaces. They don't have a lot of uh, staff. They don't have a lot of drugs or supply systems. So, um, you know, I think for for some of the, I guess, you know, more fortunate countries, the wealthier countries, um, certainly healthcare does seem to be seen as more of a right. I think it's, uh, I think it's as a matter of serious concern about whether or not the rest of the world, that maybe the majority of the world, um, whether or not it's actually seen as the same rights to health for everyone, depending on where you live. For example, you know, though we tend to respond very quickly to big emergencies like Ebola, for example, we only tend to really do so once it seems like it's going to affect us, that right. it might actually, you know, be an infectious disease that we have to worry about. On the other hand, even during the Ebola outbreak, we know that the things that people were dying from were things like malnutrition, diarrhea, from, you know, C-sections and not having blood products. Those are chronic emergencies. And so I, I, I you know, there, those people also deserve a, a, a right to health. And even though we're not going to catch malnutrition in the same way that someone might catch Ebola, and so it might not pose a real security risk to us, we should, I think, start asking to our, you know, ourselves, uh, what is our global commitment uh, to a right to health that, you know, extends beyond borders. I think over time, unfortunately, that question has often been seen that uh, some people's lives end up being treated as a bit more valuable than other people's. Absolutely. So, well, let's talk about that in the context of Obamacare and the upcoming, um, the Republican legislation that's already changed the, that's already passed the House and is working its way through the Senate. I think there's some definite issues with regards to whose lives are more valuable. One of the pieces I read that you wrote was so heartbreaking. It was about some of the changes that could come to families of children with fatal illnesses. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I'm actually surprised that this hasn't gotten more coverage. So I, I thank you for for say, taking some time to talk about it. Uh, before Obamacare, if you were a parent and you had a child and your child had a uh, life-threatening uh, fatal illness, you would be faced with a decision that's unimaginable, which was you would have to decide at some point between hospice care or treatment. Now, I think that we could all agree, no matter, you know, where you find yourself on the political spectrum, uh, that that's a, a terrible choice to force any parent to have to make, and that we would want to have to make ourselves. Obamacare had a very small pro- has a very small provision in it that says, look, we are going to allow concurrent care. We're going to allow parents to get both, get their kids the comfort of hospice care, the 24-7, around the clock, call somebody at 3 a.m. if you need help uh, type of care, and that sort of last shot treatment. Um, now, Obamacare made that possible. Uh, there's a question about, you know, is that going to be preserved or not? Um, the second issue is that these kids, you know, as you might expect, they need a lot of 
they need a lot of health care, and that health care is rather expensive. Um, that could mean as much as $14,000 uh, a month on average. At least um, that's what one study had shown, that that's what these kids need. Therefore, these kids are often able to get Medicaid. This circles us back to what the AHCA uh, is so heartlessly doing, which is it is going to strangle Medicaid. And when you do that, and when you cut Medicaid by, in over 10 years, it would cut it in half, you're going to force states to have to make decisions about how they're going to distribute that money. And when we're talking about kids with very chronic, complex, life-threatening, and fatal medical conditions, those are the kids that make up, I mean, they're a small group of kids, but they make up 40% of all Medicaid spending on kids. So if you cut Medicaid, you're going to affect these children as well. Um, they don't get a lot of coverage. In fact, they get hardly any coverage. So again, I thank you for taking time to talk about this. And it's because, you know, there aren't too many of them. Um, there aren't too many people advocating for them, but we need to speak out about this and make sure that we're going to take care of the people who need care the most, which is what health insurance uh, should be doing. I have friends with um, children with um, uh, unique diagnoses and chronic illnesses that depend on those funds. And I, I think to the first point, I think that is reflective of um, it's sort of a manifestation of the bigger problem, not just how we treat children with fatal illnesses, but how we treat adults with um, who are dying or who have chronic illnesses. And this idea that you have to choose between um, quality of life and care in our medical system is so problematic. Um, I've talked about this book a lot on the podcast before, which is Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. It's an effect fabulous book. I read everything he writes. And I mean, he's, he does a really good job of sort of piecing apart why that's problematic to make people choose because a lot of times people in hospice live longer. And so because of the quality of life and to make people and particularly children choose, I think is so barbaric and is reflective of how we don't really handle that situation generally well across our healthcare system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit.
If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. So the other article you wrote was about um, maternity care. Tell us about that one. Sure. You know, this is, you know, this is basically this, the the central governing philosophy of most conservative health plans um, it goes something like that. People should have a right to choose what they pay for and people should have some sort of, you know, responsive, more responsibility for it. Uh, and if we do that, as in if we cut out what is just provided comprehensively to everyone, well, that would make health insurance cheaper. Uh, in other words, the thing that would make health insurance the cheapest is if we removed a lot of health care coverage. Um, so if it weren't for all those sick people, health care would be really, really cheap. Uh, so it turns out that the number one reason for hospitalization in the United States is maternity coverage. If you were to be able to get rid of that, uh, you would make healthcare plans a lot cheaper. And this has been something that and it's really hard to believe, but it's been a punching bag for Republicans for quite some time, making, you know, these sort of comments that they think are slam dunks, like, well, why should a man or an older woman uh, have to pay for maternity care? Uh, that they don't use or something like that. Now, obviously, you've probably never heard the converse of that. You never heard a, uh, a woman, you, you're never going to hear Elizabeth Warren standing up saying, why on earth should I pay for prostate uh, exams or, or, or cancer treatment? Um, but that's the argument that's made. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that, again, if we were to repeal Obamacare, we may go back to a time before Obamacare where insurers weren't required to cover maternity care. And if they're not, uh, before Obamacare, only 12 states uh, actually require their insurance plans to cover maternity care. So women might find themselves in a situation where on top of having to pay for their health insurance, now they've got to purchase an additional rider. Um, you know, back before Obamacare, you know, th these could be uh, more than 500 bucks a month, but actually the most recent CBO score that we finally got 20 days after they voted uh, in the House on the bill, uh, that was estimating that women might have to pay an extra $1,000 a month. Uh, and, you know, 
when we say to ourselves, who's going to be hit the hardest by this? It's the same story again and again, which is that we're talking about women in red states. And again, it's a Medicaid issue because Medicaid covers in Mississippi more than 60 percent of births. In Louisiana, I think it might be up to 70 percent. So we're talking about punishing the women in the states who are voting these, you know, mostly men making these making these decisions into office um, who are going to turn right around and they're going to punish women when they need health care the most. Well, um, I had a firsthand experience with this back when I wanted to have my second son in 2011. Um, my husband and I had just moved to um, Kentucky. He had gotten a new employer in 2009. My, the first funny thing was the health insurance. I was pregnant. I was on Cobra. My husband went to get new health insurance and they declined him and said, oh, it's because your wife is pregnant. And he said, my wife isn't applying for health insurance. And they were basically like, oh, yeah, it's something new we're trying out, denying somebody because they have a pregnant spouse, <laughs> wow. which I thought was amazing. <laughs> I mean, you have to laugh or you cry. So then um, when I went to get on, I got on health insurance and then I was going to um, get pregnant again. And my husband was like, well, we can't hit pregnant right now. You have to wait because maternity coverage doesn't kick in for a year. And I was like, excuse me. I can't decide when I want to have a kid because of the maternity coverage. So I called the health insurance company and they were like, well, that's true. But Obamacare maternity coverage is covered automatically beginning in 2010 or whenever it was. And so you'll be covered. Don't worry about it. And I was like, thanks, Obama. See, I can have a baby when I want. I mean, that seems like such a conservative issue. Like you want health insurance companies to tell me when I can have a baby. Aren't you supposed to be like all about re, you know, people giving, having babies. So, I mean, I think that it's, right. it's, it's that, and it's, and it speaks to me, particularly the, why should we have to pay for not just, I think, I think there's a trend here. I think it's, why should we have to pay for pregnant women when we're men? I think it's that comment from the Republican legislator who was like, um, well, we may we shouldn't have to pay for insurance for people who make bad life choices. You know, basically, right. like if you live a healthy life, this idea that we'll segment off all the people who have health problems in these high risk pools and they can pay. You know, my my third child had a stroke after birth. He would be have a preexisting condition his entire life. Can you imagine the economic impact of being in a high risk pool your entire adult life? I mean, I think that he I think the idea that like but there's this undercurrent of. You know, I made it, it's so it's to me, it's a, it's an undercurrent of intense privilege and probably racism and sexism, which is I made good choices and I made the and I did the right thing and I'm in the good group and I shouldn't have to pay for everybody else, which is what you also hear when you talk about Medicaid and Medicare and our social safety net generally. And this idea that even taxes, immigration, there's this whole undercurrent of me, me, it's about me. I'm going to protect my, even, even I think you could stretch it to America first. This idea of I'm going to protect my turf and I don't care what happens to you, period. Right. And look, you know, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and the, the only people that this possibly benefits are people for a very short time, which are, you know, if you, if you are young, if you are healthy, and if you are rich and you don't plan on ever getting old or sick <laughs> or making a bit less money, then this is all good news for you. Uh, but if you do plan on maybe aging at some point, and if you do maybe get sick one day, I know that 
healthy people, it's really hard to imagine um, that, you know, anything could happen, unfortunately, as we drive home from work today. Uh, you may very well find yourself in a position where you need a whole lot of health care uh, very quickly. Um, but as you were mentioning, you know, this is a lot about this idea that, you know, it's it's all about um, these individuals who have, you know, claimed that they've made the right choices and are deserving, um, and then some other people aren't quite so. Um, but that's just not how, uh, you know, how healthcare actually works. And we all, at some points, are likely going to need uh, the healthcare system. Um, so, you well, know, I think we need. I'm, that's a good transition to um, the another area of interest for you, which is empathy. So that's what we'll talk about next. But before then, I wanted to take a quick moment and say today's show is brought to you by Mod Cloth, where fresh floral patterns and daring designs flourish. Mod Cloth is your go-to spot for fashion that's as unique as you. It provides an exciting and engaging online shopping experience for everyone in search of vintage women's fashion with fabulous flair. Whip up your wardrobe with everything from quirky prints to classic silhouettes. And don't worry, ModCloth's exclusive line of apparel comes in a full-size range from extra, extra small to 4X because they believe that fashion is for everybody, size, and shape. Snag all your summer essentials with this exclusive deal. Shop now at ModCloth.com and enter promo code Pantsuit at checkout for 30% off your order of $100 or more. That's ModCloth.com, promo code Pantsuit for 30% off your order of $100 or more. Make every day extraordinary at ModCloth. So Jason, you're working on a book about um, empathy. And, you know, some of the writing you've done online has has talked about this really interesting finding that white people don't perceive black people's pain. Tell us about that. Or as strongly, I guess, as they perceive. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a super disturbing uh, research result that's, that's been in the literature for a little while. But what I've tried to do is try to connect, you know, some, some findings from psychology and, and criminal justice, uh, and sociology and try to bring together a few different types of literature that don't necessarily tend to talk to each other. Um, because what we see in the psychological studies is this idea that not only do white people not perceive black people to feel pain as intensely as they do. But it's also been shown to be the case for black people as well to not perceive pain in other black people in the same way that they'll, they'll see white people. Wow. Uh, so it's a very disturbing result. And then when you connect it to other things we know, you say to yourself, look, we know that for the past 20 years at least, that if you know, two people go into the emergency room with the same symptoms, uh, white people are going to get pain medicine before black people do. And, and I'm not talking about just like 20 something year old. I'm talking about, you can see this in studies in pediatrics where you've got, you know, young kids going in with abdominal pain, little kid doesn't get the same amount of pain medicine because of his race all the way up to elderly people who are people who are recovering from uh, from very painful bone cancer, also not getting the same amount of pain medicine. So bringing this all together, bringing together other literature on saying, okay, well, then how might that be playing a role in the justice system, right? In places where we know over and over again that at every stage of the justice system, 
if you are black in America versus white in America, you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be charged more harshly, you're going to be sentenced to lengthier sentences. Um, again, not even starting when you're an adult, but we can back this up into being a juvenile. Um, you know, so it's bringing together a lot of threads here to say there is definitely a racial empathy gap that's happening. And that was that was the start of, you know, um, certainly my obsession with this. And it goes into this bigger question of, you know, how is it that we are seeing some people's lives as a little bit less or maybe a lot less valuable than other people's? And then what can possibly be done about this? Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. 
Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, and I think that it's so interesting across the healthcare system. Um, Marie Claire did a really great article called Women Are Dying Because Doctors Treat Us Like Men that I'll put in the show notes. And it's it's the same thing. It's like women's pain is not perceived the same. They are far less likely to get painkillers. They go undiagnosed for long periods of time. And I think it's that exact same thing. I think it's and women do women doctors do it, too. I mean, I think that it is our society sends a lot of cultural messages about whose lives are more valuable. And I think that this is so Interesting. And I think, you know, the New York Times just yesterday put out um, this big thing on drug deaths in America are rising faster than ever. And you hear a lot of the impact of the opiate epidemic and all this, um, all these death counts. I mean, I think they said this is crazy. Drug overdoses are now the leading cause of death among Americans under 50. And that impact has been felt a lot stronger in white rural areas. And it's sort of fascinating. It's like, you know, the silver lining of some of this is that you see that in black populations, they don't have drug um, addiction as high as in white populations because their pain isn't perceived the same. So at least there's a small upside. I'm not saying that it's okay, but it is sort of the way this plays out sociologically and economically across the country as this epidemic sort of wreaks havoc is so fascinating. And I think, like I said, I think it's just, it's a trend Across politics, across healthcare, across so many things that, you know, certain groups feel entitled and certain groups don't perceive other people's lives as a, as valuable as, as their own. So what do you think? Um, what are some of the, th- what are some of the things you're finding that we can do to address this empathy gap? It's one, of, I don't know if you've read, um, strangers in their own land, but she calls it the empathy wall. And like, how do you get over when you can't even, you can't even understand where someone is coming from. Like you just can't stand in that space at all. There's like their wall between you. And I think that's a huge problem across the country right now. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's an interesting, interesting way to look at it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite right because I mean, I think that your earlier point, right. About, you know, why are, you know, women dying and, you know, why are, why is there, you know, pain and, and symptoms going untreated it kind of has a very easy answer to it, which is, you know, not just this question of whose life is is valuable or not, but who's valuable to listen to. If we look at empathy as, you know, the big philosophical question, right? You know, what is it like to be another person? How can I ever know what it is like to be you and for you to be me? Well, one really easy way is that I could ask you and I mm. could listen to you. But we know that who is valuable to listen to in this country? Um, whose space do we even try to stand in? Uh, that is something that obviously has great racial and, and disparities uh, and gender disparities across the country. Um, you know, look, in, in response to the recent election, right, there has been no shortage of reports on what is it, what, what are the coal miners feeling 
you know, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that those are bad stories for people to do, but I haven't seen a whole lot of stories about, you know, what was it like to be a disenfranchised, you know, uh, elderly black voter in Wisconsin who didn't go get to cast a ballot because of, uh, you know, some, you know, restrictive voter ID laws. Now, I'd like to read that. I'd like to know what it's like to be that person. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we need to address whose voices do we listen to? Um, mm-hmm. Who do we get to say is an expert on their experience? Um, and that means that we have to, you know, actually take some time to listen to what people say about who they are and what their experience of the world is and take that seriously and try to honor that uh, in a way that I don't think happens. I said that the other day on Facebook. I just said, you know, let's just keep this as simple as possible. You are not an expert in someone else's experience. The idea is a white person that you understand how black people are discriminated against is ludicrous. And nothing makes me more furious than a man telling me what it's like to be a woman. You don't know. Please don't try to tell me. And it's so frustrating. And, And for some reason, it's become this warped thing where um, it's, it's been swept up in this sort of anti PC fervor that the idea that you can say, no, this is my experience and you don't have a right to question my experience and say that how I, what I experienced wasn't true has become, oh, well, that's just too PC and that's harming our culture and that's harming our society is so ridiculous. Absolutely. And I mean, to, to try to bring this together with our previous conversation, uh, on healthcare, I think that one of the big issues that we need to get, uh, get across to people is that our lives, whether we like it or not, are deeply intertwined and deeply connected to each other so that we can't just say, Hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if those 14 million people are getting kicked off of insurance because, Hey, I've got insurance through my employer. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, uh, unless you plan on living like the Unabomber in the middle of nowhere, you actually want your neighbor to be healthy. If you actually understand that our lives are deeply connected to each other, you want to pay attention to the experience of someone next to you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't become something we can just shrug off as, oh, well, it's so PC or, or it's such a snowflake thing to care about people's feelings. What are we talking about? Your feelings and how, and how you experience the world. That's, that's what makes up our one life on this earth. So we could either go through our lives trying to make it a bit easier on, on everyone else, um, or we can have this sort of combative thing, which seems to be the way that it's sort of spiraling into where it's, it's too PC to pay attention to how someone feels feeling. or what their experience is what are we doing here on this earth then? Yeah, (laughs) no, that's so true. So what's your, what is your um, sort of number one piece of advice as you, as you delve into this um, for our listeners, as we wrap up the show, as far as how to, how to catch yourself and how to be more empathetic and sort of the important implications of that. Yeah. um, uh, Yeah. I, I wish I had a firm publication date so I could say, Hey, stay tuned for the answer to that on this date. But it'll be out next next year. I would say for, for now, um, the short answer to this is, you know, I guess what we've been talking about, which is to, uh, you know, try to stop yourself and to, and to try to see people uh, as, you know, 
as vivid people as you see yourself. Um, that's, you know, I think one of the ways that we can all, you know, not just people who are the sort of foaming at the mouth, racist, r- waving Confederate flags, but the way that a lot of people can fall into these traps is by believing we know more about someone than we actually do, that we're actually operating off of stereotypes or what we just believe about someone else without actually paying attention to who that person is standing in front of us or sitting beside us. I think trying to be a little bit more curious about who is that person who's, you know, sitting beside me on the train? Who's that person who, you know, maybe didn't hold the door for me, you know, running into some store, taking a little longer, you know, uh, at the, you know, red light? and not trying to jump to conclusions, uh, I think that we could all be served well by having a slower approach to each other. I like that. I like a slower approach. I think that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jason was incredibly gracious, you guys. We recorded one interview, and my computer crashed, and I lost it, and he agreed to come on again. So thank you so much, Jason, and please come back when your book is published. Thank you so much. So thank you to our executive producer, Nicholas Holland and Leslie and Tracy, our new executive producers. We're so excited to have them. It's still not too late to go to patreon.com forward slash pantsuit and support our Patreon membership drive. We're so close to reaching our goal. We need every um, little bit of help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pantsuit Politic. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. 